people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, welcome to Twelve Rules for What. Um, my name is Sam. I'm Alex. I I went away. Uh, yeah, and I managed perfectly well while you were gone. Sure. Um, yeah, I had those episodes. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I thought you managed. I I, th- I thought they were there. I thought they were on SoundCloud. <laughs> you thought they were there. I saw them on SoundCloud. <laughs> Great. You didn't even listen. I could, no, I I listened to yeah. I listened it's my content. It's the content not important to you unless you're involved in some direct. The player. most important thing to me about this show was at the beginning and remains for every episode is the theme tune. <laughs> Which is the, the highlight of every episode. Probably it's literally downhill from that I point. Just had dinner with someone in Dalston and I played them. Only the set, only the intro, and nothing else. And I was like, and they were like, "This sounds great." And I was like, "Yes, really downhill from that." <laughs> <laughs> so we are recording this in a in a post election world. Um, everybody knows, but if you haven't, know, if you don't know, if you've been under a rock. The Tories are like really like have a massive majority now, and Corbyn uh, lost a lot of seats. Labour lost a lot of seats. I'm actually there. Um, and uh, before before this, ele- we're not particularly going to talk about the election necessarily because um, there'll be a thousand and one other kinds of. There are like literally a billion podcast articles, whatever, making their own excuses and dissections and pushing their own agendas for this, um, and we're not interested in doing that. Um, but we are interested in the far right and how they will, how they will respond to this situation. What they're going to do, you know, what the next like five years are going to be like in the far right, considering this like overwhelmingly strong and popular right wing government. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about now. So we wrote, um, well, you wrote, but we wrote um, just before the election a set of scenarios that we thought were kind of likely basically kind of laying out what might happen in kind of post-election world. Do you want to go through which one of those scenarios actually did work and then, or it did happen rather, and then what that means and what the scenario was? Yes, so I laid out three situations. Um, One, that Corbyn would win a a majority. Sad face, sad face. Um, Two, that there would be another hung parliament. And three, um, that the Tories would win a majority. Um, I don't know whether I could do it as how strong a majority, but, you know, a working majority that they couldn't be challenged on. And um, it turns out that scenario three happened, and, you know, they've got like a 40 seat or 60. Uh, they've got a massive majority anyway. Um, and so we're going to quickly talk about like what how this would change the, the landscape for the far right, how they respond to this situation. Um just to real quickly run through the, the previous two scenarios, like if I would, if a Corbyn government did get in, um, had gotten in, then we would have expected massive right wing demonstrations with a big far right kind of contingent on that in protest of this new socialist regime, uh, and a hung parliament would probably have continued the status quo, similar un, un, unknown situation in parliament, very unstable, another election around the way, similar to how things have gone. But no, we've got this right wing government, and it's. Um, it's a one of the, it's it's worth saying that it is a different a different it's different kind of conservative party and conservative government to the one that Theresa May or David Cameron led and in some very clear ways, um, there is much more I think uh, kind of capitulation to kind of far right ideas and policies in order to scoop up the um, the the, vote of the votes of the Brexit party and the more like kind of hard right elements in that in that project. Um, much like how Thatcher's governments turned to the right um, 
destroyed the National Front or like kind of, you know, uh, took the air out of the National Front in the eighties. Um, and uh, we did, we have, we have definitely, see, we we have, we do definitely see this kind of situation um, already. I mean, just like some of the manifesto items are kind of clearly like because they're explicitly racist, but there's a policy they've got towards travellers in which they will confiscate um, possessions, caravans, places of residence if um, traveller communities are not kind of in designated areas. Is like just a basically explicit racist attack against a minority in this country. And it's an extraordinary thing to put in your manifesto if you're not simply trying to scoop up that portion of the vote. It's not a thing that most people actually ever think about at all. Um, very few people really think about that issue. And so to put it in the manifesto, it can only be as a sop. It's a, I mean, I think right. I think it's a pretty much clear dog whistle. That that I think that you're totally right. That manifesto point, although it's very clearly drinks in a language like state racism, bureaucracy, racist bureaucracy, it is, you know, appealing to like the very base popular sentiments of the country. Um, there's also like kind of the more authoritarian aspects to the manifesto. The like the um, uh, commitment to, or at least the suggestion of. Um, amending or abolishing the Human Rights Act, which is a very clear, like, kind of authoritarian thing to do. Change um, the position of the Supreme Court. Um, House of Lords reform, but not in a progressive way, in a way that will check its power to oversee government action. Um, the abolishment of fixed-term parliaments, which um, I, I can understand why Boris Johnson wouldn't want to get rid of that, but it also kind of puts more executive power back into the executive and away from, like, kind of you know, um, me- mechanisms of state instead. Um, and there's also, of course, um, Brexit, which is obviously um, an animating position, uh, uh, an animating policy position on the far right. But everyone in the far right is in favour of Brexit. Um, and so that is also an issue, like the uh, traveller uh, pogrom man- uh, policy point. This is like a... Um, Another point, which is another kind of dog whistle, in that it's, it does appeal to popular, like, leave voters in general, but it also appeals very much to the hard right as well. And we know now, with this majority, that Boris Johnson's going to go for, like, the hardest of Brexits he can get away with. Um, he, he's going to put into law that there can be no, like, extension to the transition agreement beyond tw- the end of 2020. Um, there's, all, there's definitely going to be this kind of brinksmanship in order to like force this kind of situation in which um, the most kind of like retrograde kind of human rights and workers' rights policies, other the kind of other reactionary policies that are in the manifesto, which is which the European Union is currently having a check on, uh, and then increasing things like law and order policing as well. So there's a much more uh, kind of tougher sentences to criminals kind of thing than there would have been under um, you know, previous uh, government. Okay, so we have this kind of so- collection of policies that are in the manifesto. Where do we position them politically? Because obviously we're not saying something like Boris Johnson is a fascist. That's a position that some people have taken. I think that position is straightforwardly wrong. And I don't think that it's even a matter of kind of political pedantry to say that Boris Johnson isn't a fascist. I think it's actually a really important distinction to make. Yeah. In part because it could actually get much worse. And I want to go on to when we talk about you know, the implications of this election, not now, but in 10 years' time, 15 years' time, what this kind of opens up for people, then we will need these terms, then we will need to be able to speak about fascism openly, directly, when it really arrives. And I think that is important to maintain now. So I don't think Boris Johnson is a fascist. I think that's one important thing to term. But how would we situate Boris Johnson and how do we situate this particular Conservative government in the kind of field of the far right? So, I mean, I think you're totally right. Boris Johnson isn't a, isn't a fascist in any way. That, this, obviously, that's not to say that 
he's not a completely fucked individual and it's not going to be completely fucked and more people are going to die early, it's going to be more racism, more homophobia, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. All of these things are going to happen and we should fight against it as much as we can. It's a, ma- it's a matter of importance, obviously, to like be clear in our political analysis amongst ourselves and to other people. Um, uh, I would, I would, I would imagine, obviously we don't know what's going to happen and we can take clues like we have from the manifesto and we can... Um, kind of look at examples of what's happened in other countries. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure this, the government's going to take a much harder right position on a lot of things, much more nationalist position on a lot of things. But obviously these things are a spectrum and it's how far they go down that spectrum. And it, uh, that we, we've already spoken about a bit about like the authoritarian kind of aspects of this new government which is going to take place, and that's true. Um, it's quite hard. It's like maybe this kind of soft authoritarianism of a of a party that still considers itself like kind of, in some respects, like the party of order and uh, of like uh, continuation and a fairly liberal order at that. Right. Um, like a, a, a liberal order that doesn't. I mean, when I say a liberal order, I mean that it's also deeply racist. Like I'm not saying that it's kind of uh, you know kind of all sunshine. But my point is that it's by comparison with other states and the purpose, the, the way the possibility of the state transforming itself, it's still within like a fairly kind of yeah. liberal order. Compare like, I guess, some of the policies proposed to some of the policies that the new Labour government took against various communities or like the, the, their policy of um, uh, the, you know, detention centre regime or um, the policies towards Muslims, uh, the Prevent programme. Kind of these things are, um, I would argue, not, you know, on a, on a similar plane. Like this is not like I wouldn't wouldn't say this government is like a break from uh, all governments of the past. Sure, um, it's certainly more right wing than a lot of governments. But you know you can't you can't say this is like a, a fundamental fracture in like how 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 things are governed. Sure, absolutely not. Yeah, we are talking on Wednesday, unfortunately, and there has only been six days since the election, um, and it's been four days, three days even, since the uh, MPs were sworn in for this parliament. So we have, of course, lots more to come. Um, if there is a sudden far-right turn, don't worry, we'll do an episode about it. We'll do but, an update. We'll uh, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest. Um, but one thing we should say when we say that, you know, Boris Johnson is not a fascist, he's kind of, I think, the cabinet as a whole and certain kind of members in it seem to me to be edging towards a position that I would regard as, as properly reactionary. Like not just a kind of a, uh, a kind of rightist position, but like a reactionary position that wants to return to a status quo that is is lost. Neil Davidson has this um, useful um, arrangement of the conservatives, reactionaries, and fascists. Conservatives want the maintenance of the current status quo, possibly some parts of it reversed, possibly some parts of it kind of slowed down the pace of change. Certainly slowed down the pace of change. Reactionaries want the return to the status quo that happened before. They want kind of the, the state to intervene to do that. And fascists want a full-scale social revolution that transforms the um, the whole body politic backwards and forwards simultaneously. It seems to me that there are parts of the UK political spectrum in, inside the Conservative Party that are edging more towards reactionary rather than Conservatives. And that's a big change. That is important. I mean, those things... those kind of the weird religious dimension of the Conservative Party has been there for a very long time. Mm. Um, the weird sense in which, like, there is a kind of really hardcore ideologue wing of it, which has been, you know, kind of battling um, various in various kind of dimensions. Um, that's important. But at the same time, that's not the dominant force of the Conservative Party yet, I don't mm. think, even with this new government. Yeah, and there's also other elements of continuation as well. Like, Pretty Patel has been, like, 
like an authoritarian for a long time. Like she's one, she was one of the few MPs in Parliament to want the death penalty to come back, for example. Pretty Patel used to be a lobbyist for British American Tobacco. There was a Guardian oh. piece in 2013, I think, uh, that came out about her and her extensive involvement in covering up all kinds of nasty things um, at uh, British American Tobacco. She is bad. So there are people outside. So. What is also important for us to note is that whilst there is this kind of slight reactionary turn, no, not a slight, a substantial reactionary turn, and you know the, the, the there are elements of the ERG, for example, that are definitely more reactionary, and those ones are now in ascendance. I want to kind of pick your brain, brains about this idea I had the other day, which is that basically the contradiction that we talked about in the Conservative Party for a very long time, which is the contradiction between the kind of the business wing and the nationalist wing, that this has basically been effectively and almost completely resolved in favour of the nationalist wing. Now, I think that's a misnomer, because I I think that actually what we're discussing there are not the business wing, as in people who are interested in the production of the economy, and the nationalist wing, people who are interested in the production of the national polity. I don't think that that is accurate, because actually we're talking about two different fractions of the bourgeoisie. Um, And the, the, the nationalists want Britain as one massive call centre, right? They want it to be a kind of low-skilled work they can hyper-exploit. That's really useful for them. Whereas, like, the business, quote-unquote, conservatives are much more interested in kind of skills and training and blah, 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 blah. So actually not different uh, in any real respect, but there has been this tension within the Conservative Party. My sense is that, and this has real significance for the future, is that this contradiction between these two elements has actually been resolved in favour of the nationalists. And that's a really surprising thing because it seemed like in the Cameron period, that actually was the business wing of them that was kind of ascendant. Perhaps useful to to counterpose neoliberal and nationalist because I think the nationalist wing is also the business wing. I mean, the part the Conservative Party is a party of business, right? But, but like, it's the part of the bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so it's old party. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, uh, Alex is a recovering ac- a- a- anarchist, so you'll have to forgive. But. But yeah, obviously, the, obviously Cameron's wing is is gone. I mean, in dormancy, or I think so. Like, um, as a counter argument to this, you could say, like, okay, well, there's lot, there are still people in the membership. There's still lots of big Tory donors hmm. who donated to like you know, Rory Stewart, or donated to like you know the kind of the more like mundane people when they were kind of coming through on the uh, trying to get the the leadership election. But actually, like Boris Johnson wins the leadership election. Okay, Jeremy Hunt's not in the cabinet, but Michael Gove's in the cabinet. Hmm. Shadow Jab is the Chancellor. Hmm. Like, he absorbed that whole wing. What's Dominic Raab? He's, like, head of being an authoritarian, isn't he? He's foreign foreign secretary. He's fucking foreign secretary. Yes. And he's, like, second... He's going to take over his second to command where Boris Johnson can't do PMQs. So he's, like, the de facto second deputy leader. Wow. Okay. Uh, So so it was was obvious from the leadership election. It was obvious from the previous Queen's speech. It was obvious from, you know, that kind of point. This this fraction of the Tory party has been ascendant and been ascendant for a very long time. Mm. So they're not fascists, but what's important to note is that there have been people who have come out in favour of Johnson, or have even claimed on their Telegram channels that they have joined the Conservative Party. Yes, maybe, so maybe falsely, but there have people who, and those people are. Okay, so we have a number of far right groups and individuals, activists that have endorsed, explicitly endorsed the Tories in this election. The main group that has endorsed them is, of course, Britain First, which is known for um, these kind of direct action stunts and occasionally their leaders go away for, to prison for hate crimes. Yeah. Um, it's also a really big meme page on uh, Facebook, but it was now banned. Now banned. The other two far-right figures that we know about is Tommy Robinson, which on his channel, on his Telegram channel, um, wrote, OK, I have just joined the Conservative Party. Uh, we have just thwarted our country becoming a socialist dump. 
Um, and Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins is just about one of the worst people in the world, including, you know, ISIS, Pol Pot, serial killers in general. Stalin. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, 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 you got to forgive Sam, he's a recovering liberal. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Um. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I was um, a liberal when I was like 11. So, um, unacceptable. Um, so, Katie Hopkins, who, you know, used to be on The Apprentice in 2005 and is like kind of quite, you know, gradually over the years, as her kind of media profile has grown, has taken much more a far right turn. Um, she got fired from a bunch of places. Of cult from from being a communist and being a presenter on um, LBC really. LBC radio um, um, for saying that migrants are cockroaches and you know a bunch of racist rhetoric. Uh, she's also like ex- supported Tommy Robinson explicitly and has praised Generation Identity, what they're doing. She's kind of persona non grata in UK media now. Yes, now. But yeah. she still has a massive platform on social media. She's not one of these people who've been deplatformed, uh, and so she's claimed in response to a tweet by Saida to have joined the party or implied that her kind of politics and her kind of uh, thinking is is now a, like kind of a in Varsity's party, which is true. Like if Cida Vazi, if she's really concerned about Islamophobia, needs to leave the part, her party. Yeah, so, so the, tw- the original tweet by Vasi was that we need to now set up an investigation into, into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. Yeah. And then, to which Katie Hopkins replies, and let's just read out the tweet. I don't have the tweet on to me. Um, it's something like, not so far, sister. It's yeah. not your party, it's our party. Yeah. Nationalism is back. British people first, or something like that. Britain first, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's not quite Britain first, it's British people, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, of course, is implicitly, therefore, not Muslims, right? Yeah. Uh, just... Anyway, so these people have started supporting... The Conservative Party. And also align, explicitly aligning themselves with it. Now, whether the Tories accept them in and whether Tommy Robinson is actually a member or not is up for debate. And I, my gut feeling is they will not accept him as a member. He's just too toxic. Um, but if it comes out that they've accepted him as a member, you know... Yeah, membership list isn't public, I don't think, so we don't know. Well, we don't know, we don't know, but the party can take steps. It can, like, kind of distance itself. It can say he's not... It can say he's not a member. Um... We'll have to see. Tommy anyway. Robinson has, you know, made overtures and um, certain elements of the Tory party have been receptive to him in the past. Last year when the Free Tommy movement was going on, um, around that time, a Lincolnshire Tory councillor retweeted him approvingly and was sentenced to, uh, sentenced, who was uh, suspended from the party for 13 days and then allowed back in. Uh, great punishment. Um for like tweets supporting Tommy Robinson explicitly. Um, he is now the new MP for Lincoln. So this, can, this is going to kind of a level on which um, these people are like, are having a foothold in the party in that someone who's explicitly praised uh, Tommy Robinson um, for Islamophobia, for his Isla- for his Islamophobia, is now a Tory MP. Um, there is other, you know, reports around the country, uh, like a meeting in, in the south of England in which uh, one of the candidates says, we want to make this more an Anglo-Saxon country, this kind of stuff. So this is not to say that when we say that the Tories aren't fascist or the Boris Johnson is a fascist, it doesn't mean that's not going to get more racist. They definitely totally, are. Yeah. Um, so another point I wanted to make about Tories going forward is um, they haven't really changed the makeup of their party or the demographics of their party forever. They're still an ageing pie, they're still a shrinking party. And it's going to be interesting to see how that changes with their current ascension. Um, 
whether they can attract some of the millennial and Zoomer kind of constituency, bring them into the party, or if they continue to shrink and continue to get older, because that also changes the tenor of the party. When you've got an increasingly minority party, just in in terms of number of activists and organisers, controlling the power in this country, how does that change the kind of where people view politics as as happening? Because if it's not a mass party that's, uh, that's, you know, like in charge, then the legitimacy comes through, you know, their power in the media, their kind of, you know, raw power of the state, uh, of like kind of raw power of the state, rather than legitimacy of having a mass movement behind them or like a mass party or the backing of the unions, for example. Or, you know, their legitimacy comes from obviously business and the funding that business gives them. I would suggest legitimacy comes from repeatedly winning elections. Also that, yes, yeah. Which is the only only way that uh, conservative movements ever gain legitimacy. Because they're not interested in legitimacy, right? Yeah, in 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 the kind of the rich way in which you're talking about it. So, like the idea that a union would confer legitimacy is like just a completely alien idea. So, like people on the right, right? Okay. So, I okay. think I think that they are legitimate because they win elections. There's nothing else to it, right? The other thing I want. So, I, 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 but I, don't, don't you think that changes the kind of tenor of the country? If like the Tories shrink to a party of like I don't know what they're at now, a hundred thousand maybe. They shrink to by by twenty five percent, and now party seventy five thousand people. You know that's. I think telling of the way things go, and you see the kind of progression of that with um, uh, the Brexit party not having a membership base, only having like donors, and we see this kind of like just a, a naked, just a vehicle for political power rather than any kind of like political, traditional political party, any sense of what used to be. Like the Tories were a mass party at one point in their mm. existence, and have you know that was a long time ago, but it's still. You know, they haven't had a you know an influx of youth or kind of new people since the Thatcher period. So I would say that the the, the question of kind of millennials and Zoomers, um, I would I, so I I would have normally said like that the idea of like millennial lefties Zoomer reactionaries basically I would say that's normally overplayed. I think there is definitely a kind of there is a an underground because politics has been so degraded as a category, and we should come on to talk about the degrading of politics and the degrading of um, these kind of big terms, Brexit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, and what that means for the far right. So one of the things that happened is that this politics has been so degraded that there is a lot of ironic posturing online amongst Zoomers, people who are below the age of 21, 22, something like that, mm-hmm. um, now, and which is on the far right. And there are certainly lots of people who have grown up almost exclusively on YouTube as a news source and so on and so on mm-hmm. without any kind of other things. And that, yeah, you know, everyone knows things about YouTube and the far right. Okay, so there are actually quite a lot of reactionary Zoomers. But I would have said that's normally been overplayed. And then at the under 30s debate, immediately behind the presenter, on the very first shot, in the welcome shot, one of the guys sitting down behind her gave directly into the camera the okay sign pointing downwards upside down okay sign which is the same sign that the Christchurch shooter gave when he appeared for the first time in court it's also it's also a a well-established um white supremacist um sign so i think that there is there is a real tendency here but it's not of young conservatives it's people who are young and on the far right so the demographic shifts are actually where the conservative party currently is and to the right of that Right, but also not on the like traditional far right as well. No. this is much more the internet far right, which is which is I think will replace the traditional far right more or less wholesale. Because yeah. mm. mm. the, the traditional far right is fucking useless. Yeah, I mean, just just if we were going to talk about the election, maybe we should talk about the other far right parties. 
Um, a lot of parties didn't even contest, like Britain First, for example, and other kind of these splinter groups didn't contest the election at all. The BNP, which at the start of the decade, you know, was thought to have be on the brink of like a huge breakthrough and had won, you know, a million votes and had 40,000 members. More than the Greens won this time. <laughs> really? The Greens won 837,000. Um, now, as the, the BNP have contested one constituency in, in Hornchurch and Upminster and got about, you know, 9% of the vote or something. It came not first, not second, not third, I think, even. Um, so the, the, the kind of more traditional kind of fascist parties are they're kind of given up on the electoral project, um, which is kind of... A victory, certainly, for a certain demographic of the anti-demographic of the anti-fascist and left movement. Um, but it's also, you know, if we want to conceive of like where where things are going in the next five years, like the far right has its own strategists, it has its own thinkers, it has its, it has its own activists. They've clearly seen, um, they clearly have seen that the electoralism is kind of a dead end for them right now. The hegemony of the Tories, of whatever Farage's project is going to be, of Labour, they can't break through the noise. And um, so they will turn to other spheres of activity. And whether that's a more violent street-based approach, whether that's a community-building approach, um, I would tend towards the more emphasis on the community approach because they've seen the kind of um, failure of national action to get any kind of traction through its like extremity um, and they've seen that there is a kind of a soft kind of alienated constituency in a lot of these Labour leave seats and in fact across the country um, and which are probably ripe for like far-right community organising um, so I, I think that's going to be more the, the the direction of the far right, which in many ways is even more difficult to counter than like you know street violence, because you can you know you can organise people to defend, you can organise communities to defend themselves, you can you can you can organise in streets and do demonstrations and you know have confrontations. There's a certain established protocol for that within the anti-fascist movement of like community self-defence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but this community work, we have really no answer at the moment. Like these meetings are not going to happen in anywhere that you're likely going to be, um, unless you live in like estates in Barnsley or uh, Thurrock, you know, or these places. It's not going to be happening in cities particularly, um, and. Uh, this is kind of like a low-level, far-right kind of organising propaganda agitation that is going to ha is going to probably exacerbate the um, popular racist sentiment in certain sections of the working class. The other possibility that might happen, this is kind of a quite an important question, is what Labour does now. Yeah. So the, the, it, it, I think one of the kind of real dangers now is that the the Labour Party, uh, in a really misguided and stupid and ultimately probably completely ineffectual uh, attempts to win back parts of uh, the red wall or something like that um, tends towards a more like socially um, conservative uh, brand of Labourism. So there's a blue Labour wing. It's not something like this. I think this, this is this is a possibility, but I think it, it's, it, would, it wouldn't work, I don't think, because it's fundamentally not what's at stake. Although I think that one thing that has happened, and this is kind of maybe a big uh, contention and maybe it's kind of too silly, in the one of the kind of big stories about the say 1980s in America is the idea that the okay the, well the right won the economic war and the left won the culture war. What we've seen now in the tens in uh, Britain in this election, you know, there have been some sort of um, tokenistic gestures made by Boris Johnson towards something like increased public spending. The same thing from you know Sajid Javid. Maybe it will just kind of disappear entirely. 
so actually maybe the left in but if by left we mean something like a Keynesianism has become more and more prominent um in thinking about the economy thinking about society economically and on the other hand all of the other cultural issues all of the other kind of cultural differentiations have been dissolved into the massive signifiers which kind of encapsulate a huge number of other things leave remain and by being able to because they because remaining r- remain doesn't just it's not a position on the european union right it's a position on the totality of social um like relations it's it's at least in the minds of the far right and in the same way like leaving is a total position on all kinds of things so you can itemize what those are pretty quickly but you know the the kind of the, the important thing there is that actually to some extent though if that's the culture war and i think that is increasingly the culture war at the level of parliamentary politics then the right have won that one. I think, yeah, yeah they have won, like, because they won. <laughs> so, yeah, but so, so the left have won the economics and the right have won the culture, which is the inverse. Of oh, I see, what, in, I see in what you mean. I mean, I think, yeah, we have to see how this plays out, what kind of funding is, what how the guarantees on the NHS play, up, play out. I just think they, they don't mean The it. right have won both ways. Yeah, I think the right have won both ways. Like, you, you saw people trying to, trying to like, find some silver linings after the election, one of them said, oh, well, the Tories committed to ending austerity. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Like, this is not like a, a commitment that's going to hold any water. I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> so one of, the things I, I wanna, one of the other things I wanted to come and talk about is about the operative force of abstractions. That sounds like a really wonky, ridiculous yeah, thing just, Can you just either get the fuck say. out or just defy your language right now, please? Okay, so... Politics is organised around like interests. That's the kind of like one of the really kind of boring claims, really kind of simplistic claim. People basically vote for their interests. I, you know, the rich do it all the time, right? Uh, they want to pay tax. Well, vote for people who are going to lower your taxes. Um, people who are like poor, right? I don't have any money. Um, they're going to vote for more public services. Okay, those are your interests. Did what, that happen this election though? No, that's what I'm pointing out. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So the um, the increasingly. Politics is not about your interests. Politics is just about this kind of epiphenomenal, gaseous kind of cloud of abstraction, which is like Brexit, which is leave, which is remain, right? And so actually all the kind of particular cultural issues, all the particular kinds of ways in which people live, all the particular economic issues are are increasingly dissolved into contexts where they mean nothing, right? Those things go away and they're replaced with big, vague things like I'm a Brexiteer, I'm a leaver, I'm a remainer, these kind of things. And this is why, to some extent, the Labour Party really like disastrously failed because they seemed to be a Remain party. One of the worst pieces of analysis that I saw after the um, election was people saying, okay, well, this is not a mandate for leave because look, Remain parties won 53% of the vote, which includes the Labour Party. They're including the Labour Party in Remain, which is not the Labour Party's position. But they're absolutely replicating a kind of like a sense of what the Labour Party were doing, what the Labour Party represents, because all other issues have collapsed into Remain. And because, you know, Labour are pro-LGBT, they're anti-racist, you know, they're anti-misogynistic, because of these things, well, those are all the main, remain things, at least in some, like, really trivial way. And oh, therefore, yeah, they kind of... So see. how do you think this is going to continue once Brexit has been done? Because, you know, like I said before, Boris Johnson's put, like, a, he's going to put a legal limit on how far these negotiations can go. So by the end of 2020, we're left on the WTO, we're left with a deal. That's a really dumb move on his part, I don't understand it, because, like, the point, the best thing he could do to get another election, another election, another election, another election, is to just, like, permanently extend Brexit. Like, have it going. 
but not have it like done. Like that's really useful for him. But so, but it is going to happen. So, how do you think those kind of instructions are going to uh, actualize themselves after the kind of the point of no returns happened and we leave? So, another thing, do, I would, you, do you think that yeah. there's a new obstruction around the corner, ready to divide society? Like, what and what would that be? Okay, so the the, the other kind of thing I thought I have about this is that there, the one of the things that has changed in the northern in the, in, the, in the red wall is this, and this is a, 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 a I think pretty generally inaccurate theory of politics, but I think it holds here. So politics is organised, one could say, around events. They're big seismic moments where something massive changes and people are kind of stuck with the feelings they associate with that thing for the rest of their lives, basically. Um, that's a really crap account of what an event is, but um, you, know, you could think of... Imagine that was much better. It used to be in the North that that event was Thatcher. Absolutely, it was just... It was, it was Thatcher. And there was no possibility of that being ever being replaced. The new event, the new thing that everyone has invested all their feelings in, is now Brexit. And so this is a really big change because it means that actually when we go to the next election, the next election, people who would never vote Tory because of Thatcher now have the opportunity to vote Tory because they, of course, are now orienting themselves not around Thatcher but around Brexit. Mm. The reason why this is dangerous and the reason why this is possibly a kind of resurgent part of the far right is because if Brexit becomes or is taken over by the far right as a far right project, then the meaning that people instill in Brexit and the way they organise themselves around thinking about their own commitment to Brexit, you know, I voted for that. And that's a far right thing. And therefore, the kind of slippage of the connections between, okay, well, that's my identity. I'm someone who wanted Brexit. Oh, Brexit means something like an increase in racist violence. That's a really extreme example, but like, so Brexit means something like that. Okay, well then I'm okay with that because I voted for Brexit. And so this is the kind of the way in which I think the operative force of abstractions has changed because all these abstractions, things that have happened, things that must happen, now become determinacy, determining of people's identities, they become determining what people do, their actions, across a whole range of things that they never actually touched before. And being a leader, being in favour of Brexit, something like that, these are all those kinds of um, things. I'm not saying that all leavers are racists. That's obviously stupid. That's not the trick. trick. But I think it's possible there is a kind of like a, a reorganisation of people's psyches around the question of Brexit as there was around the question of Thatcher. And how, oh, damn, that's fucked. And, and do you think this could happen, this could have like take up a similar period of time that the Thatcher yes. kind of... Great. I want to talk about... This is insanely depressing. Yeah. Well, when we said we wouldn't talk about the election, then we spent about 15 minutes discussing the election. Well, we're talking about the consequences of the election for the far right. Right. Yeah, Which is our remit. How we justify it. Yeah, it's our remit. Um, I'm often loath to... Uh, uh, I'm often loath to uh, kind of lean into comparative uh, analysis uh, of, of, like, kind of situation in the UK and compare it to a situation in other countries, political situations, uh, mainly because I think... A lot of the context, although you can definitely like kind of place um, the Tories' victory and this Johnson government's victory um, in like kind of a rising kind of far right wave of, of reaction across the world, each country does have its own set of conditions that make it not unique but for, you know particular. Um, well, that caveat said, they do fit into. Um, certain aspects like the Tories have been for a long time been in a certain group in the European Parliament that is quite far right um, they are friendly with um, you know far right groups and governments in Poland and Hungary um, for example and a lot of far right groups have congratulated around the world have congratulated um, 
the Johnson's victory, so La Liga in Italy, for example, um, and other kind of far-right far European groups. Another comparison and another thing we can look at is the mechanism that's working out in America. Um, so the victory of Donald Trump did see a kind of resurgence of far-right activity and far-right movements, which culminated in uh, like a, a kind of big demonstration in Charlottesville, um, which we, you know, is, is very, has been very well talked about um, since it happened. Um, but also there's this kind of new phenomenon of, of the Groypers, um, which is a kind of group of like uh, a collection of... Um, I guess, trad traditional Catholic, um, white supremacist, Holocaust deniers, kind of like grouped around, uh, yeah, white supremacist uh, YouTuber called Nicholas Fuentes, um, who has been encouraging members to turn up to Turning Point USA events in America and kind of in to inject their kind of anti-Semitic, um, Holocaust denial, anti-LGBT politics into these conversations, disrupt these meetings, um, try and cause a split within the uh, youth, young conservative or conservative movement. Um, and he had a little bit of success about that. Michelle Malkin um, was, a, for a long time, an establishment uh, Republican commentator and has drifted more to the right and has kind of st explicitly stood with him and has been kind of excommunicated by another section of the movement. Um, we could see a similar situation playing out here on the right, um, although we don't have the kind of develop as much as Turning Point UK uh, tries, they are in no way as competent or as popular as their counterparts in America. We do not have a kind of youth conservative movement like like they do in America, and so it's going to be difficult to like contest that on that kind of stage. But I do think that the rise of this kind of right wing authoritarianism. Um, will kind of open the door to these debates within the Tory party and within the on the fringes and extremities of the Tory party in in a kind of like a, you know a peripheral sense not in a, like an extreme sense that will inject more fascism and more kind of far right politics into the debate that's ha that happens within the Tories okay. that's all we've got time for thank you very much to Alex for searing hot takes so i think the message you want to get out from this is that i think things are going to get worse in many different ways People should be organising, obviously. Um, the left obviously needs to be better. Um, clearly, like a lot of this is a, is a failure of the left. Um, and anti-fascists in particular need to get organised because all I can see is like a more hospitable environment to fire activity in the next few years. And for that, we need to get stronger as a movement. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Um, as ever, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash 12 rules for what? Check We've us out on Twitter. we got one new uh, donor. I know, at the time we didn't release anything. We didn't even do episodes. Respect that individual. Yeah, thank you to that person. 12 rules for what?